Hi everyone, Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us and he has a word for you today, we are sure of it. Take some time out to listen and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. God, I thank you for each and every person here. We never take it for granted this opportunity that we have to come and minister together. I pray you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person and that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today they can use. They can use and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but they will be able to use this message and make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. If you would lift your Bibles up and say this confession, say, this is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God breathed. And I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out and to the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the word I have for you today is one that I am extremely excited to give you because I think it'll make a proper change in our lives. I know it made a proper change in my life while God was dispensing it to me. Sometimes people will say, what I'm getting ready to teach you may kind of mess with your religion. I don't think we're going that far because I don't think it really messes with your religion as much as it tightens it up, gets us more focused on the way things should be. And that's a good thing. So let's kick off this way. We are getting ready to embark on a new series and that series is entitled Till Death Do Us Part. Many of us have heard that over and over again as it relates to, you know, the traditional marriage vows. Many marriage vows today, though, are so customized that you really don't hear that phrase if you were to go to a contemporary wedding. But if you went to a real down-to-earth, deep, deep, traditional Christian wedding, you would hear those words. You would hear the groom recite to his bride words that seem like, and I'm going to show them to you. We've all seen them. But as I recite them, that way you'll be able to see them for yourself. But they're not going to be unfamiliar to most of us. But the groom would say to his bride, I take ye to be my, I take thee to be my wedded wife. To have and to hold from this day forward. You know the rest. For for better. Come on, Miss Janice, for better. Come on now. <laughs> If you're going to say it out loud, let's get it right, nah. <laughs> it jumps in and it says, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, 
in sickness and in health to love and to cherish till death do us part. And then it throws in there according to God's holy ordinance and therefore thereto I pledge thee my faith. Now I want you to notice something about that pledge I'm going to call it. That pledge, the part that says till death do us part, that doesn't really slide in there until after they talk about a sequence of highs and lows in life. If we were to kind of snatch a, a term from our previous series, we would say they don't really talk about till death do us part until they talk about some possible situations that could happen in life. When the couple says that thing, that phrase that goes like this, till death do us part, they're really supposed to mean that in the context of them saying, hey, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, it doesn't matter the situation, it doesn't matter the circumstance. We're going to be in this thing until when? Until death do us part. When you think about that idiom, though, that to death do us part thing, that's really a, just a poetic way of the bride and the groom, because they say it to each other. It's just a poetic way for them to say, hey, listen. As far as this vow we're taking, we don't plan to go anywhere. Whether things are stormy or they're rainy, we're in this together. Whether things are going well or whether things are going crappy, we in this thing together. Hey, listen, if things are going well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to rejoice together. But if life gives us lemons, we are not going to desert this union. If life gives us lemons, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make lemonade, but we're going to make it together. Our plan is to not separate. That is, of course, till death do us part. The whole context of that expression is that those two people are saying, we are going into this thing with the intent of this union being permanent. And with that permanence in mind, that expression, till death do us part, it brings to mind several other words. Notice these words. Oh, there are the vows. I take thee to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part, according to God's holy ordinance, and thereto I pledge thee the, my faith. Boom. Right there. Now watch these words. When we're thinking about expressions or words that align with till death do us part, or T-I-L-L, -L, or until death do us part, Notice these words. I'm going to read them from my tablet, but they're before you there. Those words are these. It brings to mind words like pledge, promise, 
declare. Vow, of course, steady, stable, dependable, resolute. A bride and a groom that says those vows and throws in that till death do us part, they are saying from this day forward, hey, we're in this together. Another way of saying it is that they're saying from this day forward, I commit to be in constant pursuit of giving you the best of me for the rest of our lives. And they memorialize that thing by exchanging rings. And then they seal that deal with a kiss. Say this with me. Marriage is a ceremonial pronouncement. Indeed. Marriage family is a ceremonial pronouncement by two people where they say to the world, from this day forward, our two individual existences are inseparable. Which is why marriage is a symbol of two people becoming what? Becoming one. That's what it symbolizes. In concept, what it's saying in marriage is once he and she make the decision to become one, it's very hard or difficult or nearly impossible to separate you from you. But keep going with me. Because if go to Ephesians real quick, because this oneness that we're talking about. In Ephesians chapter five, verse 31 in the easy to read version. Paul acknowledges this this oneness in marriage this way. Verse 31 reads like this. The scriptures say that this is why a man will leave his father and mother and join his wife and the two people will become what? One. Man and woman becoming one in matrimony is a symbol of unity. For us as believers, though, that symbol of unity, that symbol of oneness, it extends far beyond natural matrimony. And that is something that Paul highlights in the very next verse. Now, we're going to pick up from 31 and go to 32 this time, go through 32 this time. Starting back at 31, Ephesians 5, easy to read. The scriptures say. That is why a man will leave his father and mother and join his wife and the two people will become one. Verse 32, that secret truth is very important. I am talking about Christ and the church. Paul notes here that when I think about the way a man and a woman commit to each other in matrimony, I cannot help but draw a parallel to the way we should be in Christ. I can't help it, Paul says. When I think about two people joining together and saying, hey, till death do us part, this is how we're going to be. I can't help but draw a parallel between how we should be 
in Christ. With that parallel in mind, it just brings me to ask you a question. Are you committed to God till death do you part, so to speak? Whether things are sunny or whether they're rainy, are you committed to God? Whether things are going well or whether they're going crappy, are you committed to God? Are you committed to being in hot pursuit every day of your life? Hot pursuit of giving God the best of you. Giving the best of you, not just every now and then. Giving the best of you, not just on Sunday morning. But giving God the best of you every second of every day of your life. Are you committed to keeping the vow you committed to by being committed to God? Are you committing to the vow you made to be committed to God? Because I don't think some of us are. But get this. I'm going to tell you. Yeah. I meant vow. Are you committed to your vow? It may not register as such, but as a believer, we took a vow. When we said yes to Jesus, we took a vow. When you asked Jesus to come into your heart, family, you took a vow. Admittedly, we may not have all said the exact same words in our vow, but guess what? Romans chapter 10 has words that should kind of resemble the pledge that each one of us took. If you go to Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 in the Passion Translation, you'll find these words. And what is God's living message? It is the revelation of faith for salvation which is the message that we preach. For if you publicly declare, see that word? If you publicly declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will experience salvation. The heart that believes in him receives the gift of righteousness, of the righteousness of God, and then the mouth confesses, confesses, resulting in salvation. When you accepted Jesus, family, you took a vow to be committed to God. You took a vow to be committed to God. Guess what? For better or for worse. For richer or for poorer. In sickness and in health. You took a vow that you were going to love and cherish God for the rest of your life. And in exchange, God did something to memorialize the moment. But he didn't give you a ring. He gave you a crown of righteousness. To memorialize that moment, God washed you in the blood of Christ. To memorialize that moment, you know what God did? God took your sin debt and he cast that debt as far as the east is from the west. Then he sealed the deal. But he didn't seal the deal with a kiss. He sealed the deal by depositing in you the Holy Spirit. 
and by writing your name in the Lamb's book of life. Believer, you took a vow. You took a vow to be committed to God when you said yes to Jesus. The question is, how committed are you to that vow? When we said yes to Jesus, when we accepted Jesus into our hearts, in effect, what we were saying is, God, I want all of you. And in return, I commit to giving you all of me. And with those words or something similar, you know what we did? You and I began that union with God. But the question is, once again, how committed are we to that union? Admittedly, I'll be up front with you. Keeping the stance of commitment comes with its challenges and its challengers. I don't care what the commitment. Anytime you put your feet in the sand and you dig in your heels and you voice that you're committed to something. Oh, here comes a challenge. Oh, here comes a challenger. I know we're talking about being committed to God, but oh, every time you open your mouth and you say you committed, here comes a challenger. Hey, when was the last time you say you're going to commit to the gym? When was the last time you said you're going to commit to exercise? And then here comes that challenger that exists between your ears. You ain't getting up today. We tired. Let's take a break today. Oh, yeah. Every time you commit to something, you have a challenger. I'm going to eat right. But man, that fried pork chop sound good. Yeah, I'm going to eat right. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's only going to consume water, but doggone it, they got lemonade flavored tea. <laughs> Give me a raspberry. Give me a strawberry. Give me that peach tea. Oh, by the way, do you have it sweet? <laughs> Every time you say you're going to Take a stance and commit to something. Oh, every commitment has its challenges and challengers. And as such, our previous discussion on the topic of worry was very purposeful. Do you remember what worry does in a nutshell? Oh, yeah. Worry, worry puts you in that two step. And what worry wants to do is worry wants to motivate you to operate outside of your what? Outside of your policy. Worry wants to motivate you to work outside of God's will, outside of God's way. That's the what worry wants to do for you. And worry does something else too. Worry tarnishes your view of God. And a tarnished view of God results in diminished trust in him. And guess what? When you have diminished trust in God, that lessens your desire to be near him. 
And so if trust lessens your desire to be near God, trust, if you don't have it, is toxic to your God union. To make it clear, if you lack trust, that is toxic to your God, God union. Say this with me. The lack of trust, lack of trust is, toxic is toxic to my relationship, my relationship with God. It's toxic. Now here's where we start getting a little tighter. Because I want to make a point how important trust is in relationships. So on this part, not that you have not been listening, but I want you to really listen up. We have been comparing our relationship to God with that of a husband and wife. And anybody, anybody who is or has ever been married can tell you they will confirm, they will sign their name on a document that says this for sure. That once trust in your heart for your partner leaves, the desire to be intimate with that person will soon follow suit. Your relationship, my relationship with God is no different. When trust in God leaves our heart, the desire to be intimate with him will soon follow suit. And you know what? We shall not, we should not, don't you ever take for granted the importance of those intimate moments with God. I don't ever want you to, to, to look past or to sidestep or to just ignore the importance of those intimate moments with God. Those moments are important. Those tender moments that you have with God in those moments, you share your soul with God. You bear your heart to God. And when you bear your soul to God, he comforts you. When you bear your heart to God, you know what he does. He adores you for it. In those tender moments that you have with God, you ask him for guidance and he gives you direction. Without those intimate moments, you know what happens. You begin to rely on your own opinion. Without those tender moments with God, you know what you do. You begin to operate independently of him. And none of that aligns with your policy. Look at what your policy says. From Proverbs chapter 3, the Passion Translation, verses 5 through 8. We've read this in many translations when we're talking about our policy. But check this out. What does it say? Trust in the Lord completely 
and do not rely on your own opinions. With all your heart, rely on him to guide you and he will lead you in every decision you make. Become intimate with him in whatever you do and he will lead you wherever you go. Don't think for a moment that you know it all for wisdom comes when you adore him with undivided devotion and avoid everything that's wrong. Then you will find the healing refreshment your body and spirit long for. Do you see that? I want you to note something here. When you look at this. Go back to verse five for me. Let's look at this together. It begins by saying trust in the Lord completely. When you see that trust in the Lord completely, mentally speaking, that trust in the Lord completely, it lines up very well with the topic of being committed to God. Oh, if I trust in God completely, you know I'm committed to him. It just rolls off the tongue. But I want to draw your attention. I want to draw your eye to verse 7. Notice what verse 7 says, because there is a word in verse 7 that often goes unnoticed. Verse 7 says, don't think for a moment that you know it all. For wisdom comes when you adore him with undivided what? Undivided ooh, devotion. Thank you, Lord. And avoid everything that's wrong. Devotion. Family, real trust in God does not just show in your commitment to him, but in your undivided devotion to him. Commitment, loved ones. Is you keeping your word. Commitment is you following through on your pledge. Devotion. Although similar is markedly different than commitment. Devotion carries with it an emotional component. Devotion is a loyalty driven by a heart connection to remain faithful regardless of the state of affairs. Devotion develops through intimacy. If you don't have intimacy, devotion struggles to exist. And without devotion, your trust in God is incomplete. Trust in God requires commitment and devotion. It requires both to exist. Say this with me. Trust, Trust in, God in God requires, requires commitment, commitment and devotion. I don't care what you say. There is no way around it. Trust in God requires both. Now get this. I know people. You've seen people. People that will stand up and stick their chest out and they'll wave around their commitment as evidence that, that they trust in God 
when all the while the truth of the matter is the fact is that the simple truth is if their trust does not involve devotion. Their trust is incomplete. Oh, they'll tell you, hey, 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 I trust God. Look at how I'm committed. But guess what, loved ones? More than likely, if that's where they stop, their trust in God is incomplete. Why? Because it lacks devotion. And don't you try to convince me that commitment and devotion are the same. They're not. Commitment and devotion are different. The two are separate. They're not the same. And you could spend a lot of effort to try to convince me otherwise. But one, you'll be wasting your breath. And two, you'll be wasting your time. Because the two are not the same. They are not the same because experience tells me they're not. They're not the same for a man and a woman can be married to each other, committed to each other, but not devoted to each other. I'm telling you what I've observed. A parent can be committed to their children, but not devoted to them. I'm telling you what I know. A person can be committed to their job but not devoted to it. Loved ones, a family can be committed to their church but not devoted to it. By the same token, a person can be committed to God, but guess what? Not devoted to him. When we're talking about trust in God, both commitment and devotion have to be there. I want you to say this with me. Say trust in God involves more than the act of following his guidance. It also includes the condition of my heart while I follow. When we talk about trust in God, you need to understand that we're talking about both commitment and devotion. So you can shout all day about your commitment. Just realize that without devotion, your trust is incomplete. You can shout all day about your commitment in God, your commitment to God. But it lacks a little punch unless devotion comes along with it. Complete trust in God should always be top priority in our lives. That's why trust needs to exemplify or show from us both commitment and devotion. 
Now we have mentioned often that worry is a challenger to our trust. But family, worry is not by itself. Worry is not the only challenger to our trust. Observe some of the other challenges to our trust. This is not a complete list. But just to name a few. I want you to see these with me. When you're talking about things that challenge our trust in God, they include things such as unhealthy pursuit of wealth, popularity or fame. Laziness or complacency. Anger, hatred or unforgiveness. Other close or intimate personal relationships. Traditions and alternate doctrine. And, of course, worry. And we just named a few there. In any case, all of these items or items like them are toxic to our union with God. So we should guard and defend our mind, our hearts, our spirits against such things with all diligence. If it hasn't been made clear, let me state it clearly. Our relationship to God should be second to none. None. Therefore, an overall objective for the believer is to stay fully committed and devoted to God. For better, for worse, committed and devoted. For richer, for poorer, committed and devoted. In sickness and in health, committed and devoted. Not just committed in what you do with your hands and in where you let your feet take you, but in the condition of your heart while you doing what you doing for quote unquote God. You don't say that you trust God just because you do what he asks you to do, but you grumbling the whole time. You can't say that you trust in God when you say the words that he asked you to say. But in your heart, you say, I don't really believe that. If we are to trust in God, loved ones, that thing comes with a pair. Both commitment and devotion. An overall objective for the believer is to stay fully committed and devoted to God for as long as they live, regardless of his or her situation or circumstance. Committed and devoted. When we're talking about trusting in God, it's commitment and devotion for the rest of your life. Not just going through the motions. But taking your heart with you. Don't let those things break down your trust in God. Because if you allow them, if you allow them to break down your trust in God, you're not going to want to be near near God. And if you don't want to be near God, that's a distance of intimacy. And without that intimacy, you ain't going to trust him. 
You won't. So our objective is to be fully committed to God and fully devoted to him. Now, in support of that objective, we're going to walk through some examples of true commitment and devotion. And the Bible has several. But loved ones, we will pick up that next time. For now, where we want to put our marker down and what we want each other to leave here with is what we're getting ready to say together. Say this with me. My trust in God, My trust in God will show, will show through, through both, both my, commitment my commitment and devotion, and devotion to, him. to him. Amen. Amen. I love you. Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you for each and every person here. I thank you that, I thank you, God, that when we have trust in you in mind, that is a trust that contains not commitment alone, but it brings devotion along with it. I don't say I trust you, God, but leave my heart on the front step. When I say I trust you, I give you all of me. When you ask me to do it, when you ask me to say it, when you ask me to move, when you ask me to stand still, I do it with a heart that says I trust you, not just with actions that show it, because anything else is a little shallow on the trust part. Give me the desire not just to commit, but the heart to devote. We pray that everyone who listens to this message will evaluate for themselves what it is they are waving as trust in you. Is their trust in you really being accompanied by their heart? Or are they just following out things that they believe they should and going through the motions? If that's the case, seek out what in their lives has been siphoning, siphoning off those intimate moments with you. Because devotion gets less and less and less the farther our heart gets from you. Commitment and devotion, God. That is where we want to end up. Committed and devoted to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now. But we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.